Welcome to Making Bank, the show for Bankless DAO by Bankless DAO, where each week we highlight a project and a personality from inside the Bankless DAO. We want to showcase the work that we do and the people who do it. This is our story as we journey to become more bankless. If you want to learn more about what it is that we do, then just keep listening. We hope you enjoy today's episode of Making Bank. Hi, I'm Drost, and welcome to a special episode of Making Bank. Today's show is a compilation of excerpts from several prior episodes over the past few months. All of our guests are members of Bankless DAO. You'll hear from Tessa of Fight Club, Jipei from the International Media Nodes Project, Tollhouse Cookie, who is currently a producer on the Bounty Hunter show, working with Brandon Nolte, Comeback Kid from the Legal Guild, and finally Perchy, who created the Chippy family of PFP NFTs. Check out the show notes for links to each of the episodes in which these guests have appeared. We hope you enjoy this compilation, and thank you for supporting the show. First up is an excerpt from a conversation with Tessa from the Fight Club project. When we first started Fight Club, it was just going to be a venture DAO. But since that point, Fight Club has morphed into like a little sub DAO project within Bankless now. And we have an education program and we're creating a due diligence program. So we're creating avenues for people who don't necessarily have the financial skill set to evaluate protocols and crypto projects. And eventually, we're giving them an avenue to hopefully move into either venture capital analysis and to be able to evaluate projects on their own. So it's morphed into being this sort of umbrella entity that will have other venture doubts. People can still participate in that. Whether you're accredited, we're hopefully going to create a couple of, of venture DAOs where you don't necessarily need to be accredited. And, and a second part, which is the educational programs, people can come and learn how to do some of the analysis and support the funds and the DAOs. Like the traditional route of VC is you cut your teeth two years in investment bank, then you go to an MBA program for two years, then you become an analyst, hopefully at a VC firm, and then you work your way up. And it's it's very limited in terms of who can attend that, right? And who has the opportunity to participate in that field. And I think what crypto has shown is that you don't necessarily need to go that route for any of it, right? You can identify teams, you can identify projects that are up and coming. And if you know what to look for, and if you're willing to do the hard work and do the due diligence yourself, right? That's the entire ethos of crypto is do your own research. You can participate in these things. You can learn and you can contribute. So we're trying to level the playing field and that goes with the bankless ethos. And it's going to be a great experiment to see if we can support, to create a, a bunch of venture DAOs supported by, you know, a due diligence team of analysts all over the world, regardless of their backgrounds. The goal is to create the environment that you're always learning and you can learn from the new person and the new person can learn from you. You want to keep it flat and you want to be able to share. The, the entire point is if you want to grow and even if you want to progress your knowledge, you have to share, you have to educate, and you have to learn from people. I think the traditional route, even for traders, is that when you get out of school, you, you go to either a trading program or investment bank and they hire, you know, nowadays they take computer backgrounds or engineering backgrounds and, and you go through a pretty pretty good training program. I did the total complete opposite of that. And I went through the back door of how to become a trader. And the path was, the way that I went is probably the traditional path of back in the day when there were still floor traders. 
like floor traders were pretty much just street smart people that kind of, you know, came up and worked their way on from being trading assistants to junior traders to being floor clerks. And then they became a floor trader. Um, I didn't grow up in the pit. I started on a convertible bond desk. I was a statistical analyst and then just worked my way on. And that was after, um, that was after just temping for a bit, not knowing what I wanted to do. And then I, I had a temp position and I saw what their traders were making. I was just in the back office doing stupid things. And I saw what the traders were making and I was like, I can do that. Like whatever they're doing, I can totally do. And it was just a matter of like, well, how do I do that? And asking around it, finding the path to do it. So I understand that sometimes to get to where you want to be, you have to go through back doors. And in the, I'm forever grateful for the people who opened those back doors for me and like guided me through there. So it's kind of the same process, right? If you can throw the rope back and lift other people up, you should definitely do that, I think, in your life. The goal is to create the environment that you're always learning and you can learn from the new person and the new person can learn from you. You want to keep it, you want to keep it flat and you want to be able to share your knowledge. There's no point in just hoarding it. There's absolutely zero point, right? The, the entire point is if you want to grow and even if you want to progress your knowledge, you have to share, you have to educate, and you have to learn from people. Because it's one of the things, um, I'm a black belt in jiu-jitsu, and it's one of the things where I actually learn sometimes more from the white belts than what they're probably learning from me. Because they have this, new way of looking at things that I've learned from traditional styles. I, I might not, but they come from a different sport or dancers or physios. They do things much more efficiently or mechanically. And I'll just sit back and watch them do these things that I'm like, I've never thought about it. I don't even know if I could do it. And it's amazing, right? It, it gives me a lot more ideas. And I think it's the same thing in, in business as well. Like, okay, just because I've learned things a certain way, doesn't mean that's the way it has to be taught and has to be done going forward. It's, you know, it's about learning from each other. That was Tessa from Fight Club. Next up is Jipei, who tells of her journey from the corporate world to motherhood and to finding a place in Bankless Dow. I've really been wanting to tell that story to somebody. So me joining BDAO was actually, my husband had been encouraging me to do it for quite a long time. I think the entire summer he'd been nagging me to check it out, check it out. Um, and I was always shying away. And the background to the whole thing is that I'd been on a maternity leave for probably close to four years now because I had two kids, um, one following the other very closely. And so I never returned to my corporate job. And then we switched countries and then there were big changes in our lives. So I had been out of work for a long time. And now that we finally settled in the new country where we moved to, I started looking for a job. And my previous jobs had been, I'd been a project manager in Coca-Cola. And after that, I was a delivery manager in HP, really like as corporate as it gets. And honestly, of course, as most people, I was searching for things that I was already familiar with. So I was looking at project management positions or, or service delivery management and honestly, just reading the, the job ads, oh my God, I really didn't want to go back to this. I'm sorry if it sounds cheesy, but it really comes from my heart. Like Bankless Dao has made it possible for me to like enjoy my family life, enjoy my life in this amazing country that we moved to and this amazing city with just 
so many new positive experiences and it's all possible because I'm able to, you know, just in the morning, wake up, get my kids ready, ride them off to kindergarten with my bike and then come home and then I'm able to go do some shopping and do all the mom things that I have to do. All those things that are necessary for a household to run. But then I can also sit down on my couch and open my laptop and, and just, you know, work for two, two hours if that's all I have today. And still I'm able to, I'm, I'm able to support the family budget. Obviously, my husband makes the most the most in, in, in our house, but I'm also able to contribute. And that also helped me feel a little bit more like myself, like prior to becoming a mom. Because when you become a mom, for some time there, you're only that and nothing else. And that was getting a little bit, this narrative was kind of getting old. I needed to go back to feeling more fulfilled and just to start reintroducing things back to my life. One of which was a job because I, I like working. I like doing my job. And so, yeah, honestly, again, sorry if it sounds cheesy, but BDAO has made that possible because honestly, even if if I had found a job which would be home office entirely, which was I was looking for, but honestly, it, there's not that much, even in post-corona times, um, not that much in terms of only working from home. So I don't know how I would have made it work. And now I kind of started working. So yeah, I'm touching on your second question. I, I was absolutely sure that I would be out of place in Bidao just due to this image that I had of it as being a space full of just coders, developers, and, and then crypto people. So when I finally decided to, okay, give it a try, you know, for the sake of my family life and family happiness, because my husband was like really, really pushing for me to do it. I'm probably going to be the odd one here, but I'm a philologist. <laughs> And I speak um, these and these languages, and, and I mentioned German, among others. And then there was the guild coordinator of the translators, Grendel, who was just super welcoming, super warm, and just so friendly. And then there was the lead translator of the German translators. And like within the first hour of me being in the DAO, he already asked, Super in super friendly and you know nonchalant manner. He was like, "Oh, here I got a translation, a decentralized arts newsletter. Would you like to translate it?" Uh, what? What is this serious? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I couldn't believe this that this was happening. It was really again reiterating within the first hour of me installing this cord, seeing it for the first time, and there were all these people welcoming me, being friendly. And none of them was like, oh, no, you don't belong. No, on the contrary, they were like, oh, you should join the translators, go get the tag. Yeah, so I didn't have much time to translate the entire decentralized arts, but I did have time for like two pages. And uh, that's what I sent him. And I was being super apologetic about this. Um, I'm talking about Paul Eith, the lead translator of the German translators. And he, he said, no, 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 no need to apologize. Uh, thank you very much for, for your help, blah, blah. He never said anything about money. And so, of course, I thought I was doing this pro bono. I couldn't even imagine that I was going to get something. And then by the end of the day, he had tipped me 200 bank. So there I was, already had, had my first task. I'd made my first bank, cool face here. <laughs> and and I was, I was <laughs> no, there was, that was really literally mind-blowing. I already felt this huge sense of belonging in me. I was like, okay, I want to I want to see what else I can do. How these people actually need my contributions. Like what I have to offer is something they're interested in. And no, this was it was unbelievable, honestly. I I pff, there are no words. <laughs>
That was Jipei of IMN, or the International Media Nodes Project, and the Translators Guild. Next up is Tollhouse Cookie on his entry into Bankless DAO. Tollhouse Cookie is currently a producer on the Bounty Hunter show with host Brandon Nolte. I was working part-time kind of freelance for a small marketing firm and I I was making videos for them doing some wedding stuff and because it was like the stuff on the side I was you know working a full day at, at my normal corporate job and then I would come home and I'd like have fun editing videos or editing podcasts or making something for them that marketing firm or whatever it was like and then I got I got so fed up with my corporate job and apparently everyone else did too they had like a mass exodus of people. And so I was like looking for other jobs in the Bankless podcast. They kept talking about how DAOs were looking for work and all this stuff. And I actually looked on the, their job board or whatever, and all of their jobs were coding or project engineers or whatever it was. And I was like, oh, I, I, I don't know. I can't code. I could not code a single line right now. And so I started going down that hole. And then they kept saying, you know, they're like, DAOs need other work too. Like it's not just engineering, you know, coders or whatever, IP people, they just need other people to do other work. I think after enough times of hearing that, that's when I finally started poking around in the discord a little bit more and was like, Oh, this is nothing like there's one coding group, but the rest of it, like design and AV and marketing too, since that's what I do full time now, it's like, ah, these things are things that I might actually be able to help in without having to learn how to code. I would still love to learn how to code. Don't get me wrong. And for me, the learning how to code is kind of like a long-term play because I think probably most people in the DAO would agree that I really only see this space growing and just some kind of futuristic job security. It seems like it would behoove me to learn how to at least code a little bit. I still got project management experience, but if I can't read the code that other people are writing, it still doesn't do me any good. I would love to just go see the rest of the world. <laughs> I would love for it to open back up a little bit first, but I would love to see the rest of the world and be able to still work and maintain a, a decent state of living, a, a somewhat kind of consistent salary inflow of, of money to be able to keep sustaining that. That's kind of what I think the future work with a DAO looks like for me. Don't know how well that'll pan out, but I think that's the end goal. That was Tollhouse Cookie. Next up is Comeback Kid from the Legal Guild on his introduction to blockchain and crypto and his priorities in this space. My introduction into the blockchain and crypto space came in 2017 when a friend of mine was working on raising capital and taking a Bitcoin miner public in Toronto. And everything was exciting and happening and then winter came and i had a front row seat of watching a real tumultuous time and i'm grateful for that now because of what we're going through at this point in time so i've seen it before and i know that we came through the other side and i watched my my friend got it out and he raised more money he's actually going to go public in toronto in the next 30 to 60 days so that was a real an abject lesson as to what can happen in a really young space at any given time. Previous to this, I was working on a data warehouse automation startup, and I I really came across DAOs seriously probably at the end of last summer, and I did a deep dive, and it just resonated with me on a 
cultural level, on a business level, on a technology level. And the first DAO I actually joined was Seed Club, but it was a pretty crowded bus, right? Which is great because they deserve that. They're great. And then I said, well, you know, maybe dust off my legal skills, which I kept up over the years anyhow. And I joined Bankless and I joined Bankless because I listened to the Bankless HQ podcast. And I thought it was a really great combination of business and technology. And they do a really good job with it. So that's what led me to the Bankless DAO. And I believe in the mission. I believe in what they're trying to do. And I joined and I put my head in the ring and I started to ask for work to do and created my own ideas. I feel that my skill set and folks with similar skill set are fairly eclectic. These are skill sets that thrive during chaos and revolutions because you can wear a whole bunch of different hats and get stuff done. And the thing about the blockchain and DeFi and DAOs is that often the founders were coders and brilliant ones, and they just didn't have the other skill set needed to build it out. And that's why folks like myself and others in the legal guild and the marketing guild and the AV guild came together to really complement the exciting projects that are already happening. So I think the timing of it is always is very fortuitous. So one of the things that excited me about DAOs is the community governance aspect of it. The idea that to do well, we must do it together. And when you combine that with a blockchain that is secure, immutable, transparent, that's a really powerful combination. And I don't think as a society, we've ever had something like that before, that kind of a powerful tool. So that really piqued my interest. And when you go maybe at the meta level, I believe that the greatest issue that we face is the inequality gap. And it's something that the pandemic only more vividly demonstrated and exacerbated. Yeah, I was going to and say it definitely exacerbated inequality. That's really something that captured my attention. I thought like, wow, we have a technology that can really let us be equal participants and, and real have opportunities to make a difference. And since the industrial revolution, the economic pie has grown exponentially. But sadly, the number of folks sharing in that pie has decreased and it's not getting better. So to me, that's something that needs to be addressed if we're going to move forward. And in my view, and this is my view, I believe that the inequality gap encapsulates all the other challenges that we have on a global basis. I think political toxicity is one of them. I think geopolitical conflict, as we see now, is one of them. And in a world where folks don't feel that they have an opportunity to create a decent life for themselves and a better life for their kids, it's not a good recipe. And I think that you know, part of what I'd love to see in any of the projects that I participate in is efforts in, to take actual steps in closing that inequality gap and created more equal opportunities across the globe. And some of the public good projects that are coming right now, as the L2s are rolling out, are really exciting and give me a lot of hope that we're moving in the right direction.
I will say this, that first of all, I'm not a maximalist. I absolutely believe that regulation is necessary. We need some guardrails. And I really believe that we can find what I call the golden path between regulation and innovation and opportunity to invest. And there's a number of ways that, that we can start doing that. A couple of the things that I think about is, what if we said that if you're not an accredited investor, we will limit the amount of money that you can put into, let's say, I'm just picking the number out of thin air, $10,000, right? Now, in the crypto space, depending on the timing, this could be a lot. So imagine if somebody that's knowledgeable in crypto and spends their time studying it took $10,000 and divided it into 10 investments in 10 different projects. Now, this is risky. They can lose it all. There's no doubt about that, but you can also lose it all if you put it in Enron or WorldCom, as we found out. Mm -hmm. So if you do that, a success in any of these projects this early in the game could be life-changing. And my point is that as long as they understand what they're getting into and there are some guardrails, one of which is the amount of money they can risk, and secondly, they will have to provide the information that they have knowledge in crypto or they have knowledge in DeFi or they have knowledge in DAOs. So there's going to be some self-study as well that's going to help you make that decision. So I think if we incorporate those into an either a revised accreditor investor exemption or a completely new exemption, I think we can get to that middle ground where everybody's going to feel like investors are protected, but they also are going to be treated as adults in the decisions that they want to make. So I think that's important. And that's yeah. part of whether you want to be treated as an adult or not. And to right. be treated as an adult, you got to do some work. That was Comeback Kid. Our final excerpt for today's episode comes from Perchy. Perchy is pretty well known around Bankless DAO, and you'll recognize many an avatar from his custom-created Chippy collection. Your art just really speaks to to everything about a bankless DAO. And I'm wondering, have you always been a, a cartoonist, illustrator? I mean, is this something you you kind of got into later just as a hobby or? Yeah, I would do some illustrations. I would do, I, I have a notebook I would carry around and I would do some comic, just some funny things that would occur to me. I would, I would turn them into comics sort of as a, sometimes it would be as a journal, just things that were going on in my life. Sometimes just, just totally disconnected just stuff that was straight out of my imagination but wasn't really sharing that with anyone it was just for my own personal pleasure but yeah it's always been something that's been in my mind been something that I've wanted to do and find the right way to share that creative side with other people and so it just seemed like a pretty natural step to take when when there was the DAO because Suddenly, with the DAO, there was a theme that I could center all of this art around. It wouldn't just be my my own personal life story or or, or these things that that didn't seem like they'd be very relevant to other people. Suddenly, I thought that people inside of the Bankless DAO would appreciate and resonate with comics that were related to the DAO and related to their experiences, my experiences, but but experiences that I feel we're, we're all sharing, as, as you said with the Narnia thing, you all, you and I felt the same thing there. And I think that's what I'm going for, kind of these shared crypto experiences that we all relate to. Yeah, when I got your puzzle and 
<laughs> just going around to all of these locations within the bankless nation and all the detail you've got with your chippies and, and inhabiting this world. I just love all of the characters and the art here and the lore behind it. And that members can have their own custom chippies created. And I have not had mine created yet with these very simple drawings. They really do capture a person's personality which is really fun. I, I just love that. My initial plan was that they were only going to be for Bankless DAO members and all of the initial chippies were just from, yeah, a lot of the people that I had met in those very early days of the DAO. At this point, I don't know exactly who all of the, the people who have all the chippies. I know the, the vast majority of them are in some way affiliated with the Bankless DAO, but if, if someone outside of the DAO is interested in a, in a chippy as well, they're welcome to it. We're talking about your art so much and not so much about you. And, it, and that is what tends to happen because that's just how people know you is through your art typically. Um, <laughs> but you've recently yeah, made well, some life changes. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't interrupt. Go ahead. Oh, no, yeah, I've made some life changes. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll talk a little bit about myself. I don't really share the side of me very much. I, I feel like in the bankless community, I've, I've, I've talked about my artwork. That information's out there. Maybe people are, are interested a little bit more about my backstory. I don't know. But I used to be uh, a teacher until basically until the DAO started. And then I, I transitioned to, let's call it Web3 entrepreneurship, or however you describe what you do as a DAO member slash NFT creator. But I'm, I'm American. I grew up in Arizona and I have been an international teacher for the last 10 years or so. I've, I've lived mostly overseas in South Korea and Myanmar, mainly between those two countries, South Korea and Myanmar. So actually, this might be of interest to some. One of the main reason I, I left my, my teaching job was there was a, a coup in Myanmar. The, the democratically elected government was taken over by the military there. The military has always had a very strong presence and they jailed the democratic leaders and so became a, a very dangerous situation. So my girlfriend and I, we made our plans to leave Myanmar. Just a, it's a really a sad situation there. We left behind friends and our, our students that we taught. I'd been living in Myanmar for five years. I had you know very strong connections with my students who are primarily locals there. And so they were just devastated to see their country going in such a terrible direction. But uh, yeah, it just became very difficult for foreigners to live there. So my girlfriend and I, we went to the US for a little bit. And then she's also uh, a teacher. She got some work in uh, Costa Rica, which is where we're both living now. And that's where I've been just living, working on DAO stuff and NFT stuff, just creating my bankless locations and creating Chippy and um, getting more and more involved in the DAO and NFT space. I guess when you're in crypto and in DAOs as well, you just, you see a lot of things through that lens. And I guess while I was living in Myanmar, even before the recent political crisis where the government was taken over, people have had a history of, of mistrust of banks in, in that country. And you would hear stories of, of people just having apartments that they would rent out where they would just fill it with paper money because they don't want to take that money to their banks because the military has such a strong influence there and historically they the military has just raided people's bank accounts and that's 
yeah, that's the situation they're in now. If you're if you can't really trust any of that government infrastructure there because the institutions are just so weak and tenuous. I definitely feel that my um, experiences living outside of the United States have given me a kind of a different perspective on cryptocurrency and maybe highlighted the narrative that I think a lot of people living in developed Western countries kind of miss is that kind of hedge against institutions and protection against all of that. Because in Western developed countries, we are used to things functioning very smoothly. We have in the US, we enjoy the privileges of working financial institutions that are for the most part, pretty good. You don't really, we complain about it in crypto sometimes about banks closing or being annoying. But for for the most part, banks in the United States function really well. And you're trying to sell someone on the idea of crypto, they say, what's wrong with Venmo? What's wrong with Zelle or any of these other apps I can use? Yeah, until um, they lock you and, out of your account. Until you're locked. Yeah, now that I think it's shifting now with recent events where people are becoming maybe a little more aware of Western countries and these things they've taken for granted might not always be there. But I, I think, yeah, I think living abroad gave me that perspective maybe a little bit Put that in a different perspective for me. That was Perchy. Today we've heard from Tessa of the Fight Club Project, GPay from IMN, or International Media Nodes, Tillhouse Cookie, who currently works on the Bounty Hunter show with Brandon Nolte, Comeback Kid from the Legal Guild, and of course, Perchy. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Making Bank. Thank you for listening. And thank you to all of the members of Bankless DAO that have come on the show so far to share their stories, projects, and passions as we build together. This has been Making Bank, a production of Bankless DAO. Please like, subscribe, and follow on your favorite podcast platform. And if you have a few minutes to write a short review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, we'd greatly appreciate it. And again, thank you for listening. 